The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the founder of Fish on First, providing you complete Miami Marlins coverage all year round and every week on this podcast channel. That's right. Not only back here with you on Tuesday, but every Tuesday for the foreseeable future, you'll be hearing from me on our podcast channel, also simulcast video version on our YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you Watch us subscribe over there, rate and review, wherever applicable to support us. Uh, this is overdue for me to do a, a weekly show again. Uh, I've been podcasting on and off about the Marlins for about five years now. I haven't been able to do very much since we made the transition from this stripes to fish on first, but I think I finally reached a point where it's doable. There's, there is plenty to talk about, especially with this team at this particular moment. Most of this show is going to be dedicated to the new dude, President of Baseball Operations, Peter Bendix. I had my staff on hand for his introductory press conference on Monday. We're going to break that down with them all throughout this offseason and certainly during the regular season. We're going to find stuff to talk about when it comes to the Marlins and analyze it that way, uh, entertain you guys, uh, occasionally venture into Marlins adjacent topics and of course, incorporate your opinions, your questions into our show as well. Particularly if you are a super subscriber, I'll mention this every single show, the best way to support what we do covering the Marlins around the clock all year round is by becoming a paid super subscriber fish on first.com starts at only $3 a month. You just go to the homepage. You'll be able to find up the sign up link right there and support us that way. Those have, who have been with us for now about six months since we moved over to our new own site. That is greatly appreciated, and we hope you continue with us right here. And we'll find creative ways to bring you even more added value through the official show now that it's back every single week. And it's not alone, just one of several shows on our podcast platform to give you a variety of perspectives on this team and bring on all sorts of interesting guests, but also, yeah, just a banter with myself, of course. So on this show, I do have a solo segment to start us off with, as Tuesday also represents the deadline to file reserve lists for major league teams in advance of the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, you probably don't recognize that headline. This is all about the Rule 5, which is coming up at the end of the winter meetings in December. But what the Marlins and every other team has to decide right now is who to protect ahead of time uh, in front of the Rule 5. So that is quickly coming up on Tuesday, what the Marlins have to do there. And I'm going to just walk you through position by position some of the notable players for the Marlins that need to be protected. Uh, what the Rule 5 is, it's a mechanism in Major League Baseball that is about ensuring that no individual team stockpiles too much talent. So these players, for the most part, all have time remaining on under club control. Uh, players become minor league free agents generally within seven years of turning pro, seven seasons of playing professional baseball. But even before that, uh, if you're drafted at a college, it's only four seasons. And if you're drafted um, at a high school or signed internationally, it's it's generally five. That where there's that in between period where if you're not already given an opportunity with your current organization to put on the 40 man roster, you are eligible for the uh, the Rule 5 draft. And another team can swoop in and give you an opportunity if your original team is not quite as eager to do that for you. So that brings us where we are right here. I meant to throw up this graphic first for those of you watching on YouTube. This is J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. He is perhaps the world's foremost Rule 5 enthusiast. 
I, I highly recommend checking out his coverage of the Rule 5 as the date approaches and certainly as the proceedings happen and then reacting to it afterwards. Uh, for all the attention that this gets, you know, the reality is that most of these players are relatively lowly regarded by their current organizations. They're ones that are generally seen as not having super high upside or even a great likelihood of being solid big leaguers. And that's why it takes them a while before they're even in the picture for a 40-man roster spot with the Marlins. Uh, to take you through the Marlins eligibles, there's several dozen of these players. And this might not be a comprehensive list. This is from Roster Resource on Fangraphs, that R5 designation that they have on their team roster resource pages indicates who's eligible. And for those that aren't, it shows you what year they will be eligible for Rule 5, if not already. Uh, starting with catchers, Will Banfield is the one to know coming off a, a really impressive year at the double-A level, drafted by the Marlins way back in 2018. He was eligible for the Rule 5 last year as well, but obviously went unselected and had a, a, somewhat of a breakout with the bat this year. Some other guys at lower levels, Cameron Barstead, Jose Estrada, John Marcado. In the infield, we had Troy Johnson. He was the Marlins minor league player of the year this year. Uh, he, he's been knocking on the door for a big league opportunity. There was a case to be made that he should have been up already. Obviously, when players are called up and put on the 40-man roster, they're not eligible for the Rule 5. But for the moment, he somehow made it through the year without getting that opportunity. And just like Banfield, he was a guy that was Rule 5 eligible in 2022 and did not get selected there. Also in the infield, Ian Lewis. We have Kobe Fletcher Vance, a guy who was selected by the Marlins in the minor league phase of the Rule 5. So I'll take a moment to explain what that is with these reserve lists. Uh, players you put on the 40-man roster are ones that are therefore protected from both the minor league and the major league phase of the Rule 5. There, There's also those that you put on their AAA roster, a reserve list that can be up to 38 total players in AAA. If you find room for them on that roster, it means that they're still eligible to get plucked away in the major league phase of the Rule 5, but not in the minor league phase. And one other reminder about what this Rule 5 is about and the restrictions that come with it, once you select a player in the Major League phase, they go onto your 40-man roster, and they really have to make either your active roster during the ensuing regular season or they spend some time on the injured list. There's really no other uh, wiggle room right there. You can't send them down for that entire subsequent year. It's about plucking these players that, in some cases, even if you don't feel they're totally ready for the big leagues, if you believe in their long-term upside and you're able, you feel that you're able to live with the penalty of sorts of having them on your roster and, and struggling that first year just to get them beyond that, you do it. There are several different approaches to this, trying to find these diamonds in the rough. But it is the major league phase that we're kind of consumed with right here. It's it's hard to know who is put on those reserve lists until it actually happens. The big news is on Tuesday is we'll be finding out who the Marlins have selected to their 40-man roster to protect from their major league phase. So with Kobe Fletcher Vance, that was a guy who wasn't even on the reserve list of his previous team, the Oakland A's. And so the Marlins were able to pluck him. He's been the organization the last couple of years. He's Rule 5 eligible again. So also in the infield, Christian Rodriguez, Carlos Santiago, yet another former minor league Rule 5 pick, and Nassim Nunez, who is somewhat of a, he's the true borderline candidate of this group a former second-round draft pick of the Marlins. He just has not hit quite as well as anticipated or as hoped, but his defense and his base running have been just as good as advertised in the minor leagues, and he spent this entire past season at the double-A level going through a couple other position groups. 
right here, heading to the outfield. Victor Mesa Jr., you know well about him, signed way back in 2018, um, the younger brother of the two at the time, the one that had less hype, but to this point, and it's really been several years that he has surpassed his brother as the more impactful player. Coming off a full season at the AA level, he's shown himself to be a pretty legitimate defensive center fielder with impressive raw power with above average speed. Some general concerns with his hitting ability overall over the last couple of years, all things considered, because he is young for the level that he's been competing at and because the tools are pretty evident, the swing itself is very mechanically sound. A highly regarded prospect, in our opinion, ranked number four on our fish on first top 30 list. We consider him the very best position player prospect in this organization right now. Other Rule 5 eligibles, Jake Mangum, Griffin Conine, Davis Bradshaw, Osiris Johnson, Delvi Rosario, Javier Sanoa is another one that we could spotlight coming off a fascinating year, playing a lot of center field and shortstop while also being close to a 300 hitter. I know that he certainly was with low a Jupiter. Um, decent hit tool, just not very much power to go along with him. And he is small in stature, only about five foot seven. So there's there's a limited ceiling there in terms of what he's going to do at the plate moving forward. This is the interesting conundrum that teams look at, even though he is comfortably one of the top 30 prospects in the organization, in, in our opinions, as well as fan graphs, the prospect rankings. If you're watching on YouTube, the rank you see on the far right side, that's from fan graphs. They have a number 12 in the Marlins system. So even though he is one of their better prospects in the organization, he hasn't played above high A, and he only played a portion of the season at high A, and even his hitting at high A wasn't quite up to the standard he had set at the lower levels of the minors. Like You know pretty much unequivocally that he's going to struggle offensively if put onto a major league roster right now. So it is highly unusual for players to be plucked all the way from high A to the majors, even if they do have decent you know, decent potential long-term, it is quite a pill to swallow trying to actually be competitive at the, even forget about being competitive at the major league level. Generally there will be better. There'll be comparable players available that actually have upper minors experience from other teams in the rule five, which makes it pretty unlikely that somebody like Sonoa would be picked right here. And then looking at the pitchers here, Rule 5 eligible pitchers in the Marlins organization for the moment, ones that if the Marlins make room on their 40-man roster, these guys will no longer be Rule 5 eligible. Luis Palacios, he led the organization in innings pitched this past season. Jake Walters, MD Johnson, Evan Fitterer was a relatively highly regarded draft pick. He showed some interesting flashes this past season. The way he ended things off, though, um, his struggles just throwing strikes and getting into favorable counts really clouds his potential future as a starting pitcher, even though the Marlins have been committed to developing him as such. We have Zach King, Sandro Bargallo. It's been the organization a while, but um, I don't think he pitched very much at all this past season. And then to the relievers. Relievers are, yeah, the player, these players are already being specialized as short-term relievers. At the same time, even though they're not the sexiest in terms of long-term upside, these players are pretty frequently targeted in the Rule 5 because the transition from the minors to the majors at that position in that rule is generally the um, most straightforward. So Anthony Maldonado is the one on top here. 
He's we consider him efficient first, the top reliever prospect in this Marlins organization. He's been terrific at the AAA level for the last season and a half. Some injuries in between, some limitations in terms of his fastball characteristics. His slider is pretty special, and his ability to command that pitch, get whiffs on that pitch, is extraordinary. And that's why he's put up a sub two ERA in the very hitter friendly international league. There's really nothing else for him to prove in the minor leagues. And he's somebody that I think would be very popular among teams looking to fill out their bullpen with a rule five flyer. If he goes unprotected, the rest of these Jackson Rose, Christian Charles, he was a minor league rule five pick the previous year, as was Austin Roberts. He's eligible again, Zach McCambly Marlins picked him in the third round in 2020, hoping he would be a starter. We have an article up on him on fish on first really enjoyed talking to him. This is his first year making the transition to a pen. And there were some nice moments in there, both during the fall league and especially during the regular season with Pensacola, where it's kind of similar to Maldonado, but just with a wipeout breaking ball, it's just with McCambly. Um, the command is not nearly as sharp with him and he's still relatively new to relieving. He hadn't made it up to the triple a level yet. So he's somebody I believe you can get away with leaving unprotected and, He'll still clear the Rule 5. Uh, Luabert Arias at the AA level, he was sensational this past year. Another former minor league Rule 5 draft pick of the Marlins. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if another team takes a flyer on him. Yet, yet another pitcher who has a standout breaking ball, and the question is, does he have enough other intangibles as a pitcher in order to get out against both lefties and righties in high leverage situations? We'll wait to see. So that gives you like a general overview of um, some of the guys that are rule that will be rule five eligible if they're not protected. And this leads me to the ones that I believe should be protected because the, the Marlins have some wiggle room on their 40 man roster. As we're speaking right here, it's at 35, 19 pitchers, 16 hitters on the 40 man roster. As of this recording, 35, that leads five open spots. And even though this Marlins farm system is not not very good, and none of these players are surefire regulars in the big leagues, much less potential stars in the big leagues. Uh, that makes it all the more important for the Marlins to hold on to the talent that they have, especially when they have the flexibility to do so. And beyond these five open spots, there are there is some fat that could be trimmed from this roster, just to put it very bluntly. They could easily make other openings here and, and lose players that haven't really been productive in the big leagues or those that would, those that you'd expect would actually clear waivers and remain in the organization. Even if they got shed from the 40 man, there's a lot of wiggle room and I would encourage the Marlins to be, to err on the side of inclusivity when it comes to these rule five protections. Um, the ones that I picked out right here that I feel are um, important to protect there are, there are four guys, in my opinion, that I think are, are fairly clear choices. Or actually, yeah, these are the five that are worth serious consideration, along with their ranks on our top 30 list. I mentioned Victor Mesa Jr. He's our top position player. Um, uh, yeah, I think this one's a fairly clear cut that it's somewhat questionable as to whether he would actually be selected, but this is somebody that I don't think the Marlins can afford to lose. The upside of being an everyday center fielder in the big leagues. Uh, we know that position has been a revolving door for the Marlins pretty much ever since their rebuild started, ever since uh, with a brief um, the brief honeymoon that they had with Starling Marte. Wow, 
while he was on the roster ever before and after him, you know, it's just been a struggle to find both production and durability from that position. So Mesa potentially only by the end of next year, he could be up in the big leagues. And I certainly uh, do not want to leave him exposed in the rule five. Troy Johnston is, I think a consensus decision here to be protected on the rule five. Um, extraordinary numbers in triple a this past season, um, as well as in double a basically every level that he has played at in his professional career has been awesome. He's been drafted and developed by the organization, a standout character guy, even though he is probably stuck at first base moving forward. This is somebody whose offensive production is just too overwhelming to ignore or to let go for nothing in this case. So to me, that is one that just about everybody can agree on. Troy Johnson protecting him. Nassim Nunez, uh, the the history of guys struggling to slug as much as he has to this point in his career, it, it suggests that it's just not going to work out at the big league level. Uh, that being said, relatively young. Um, I have some curiosity as to what his production would look like if he stopped switch hitting and just focused on one side of the plates and how that could take off for him with the shortstop defense he plays, not just the speed that he has as a base runner, but the instincts he has as a base runner. There is quite a bit of value to having those, especially for this Marlins organization that has a void at shortstop. I would protect Nassim Nunez in a similar boat to Victor Mesa Jr., where um, there's a decent chance that he wouldn't even be selected. I just see no reason to take that chance at this particular juncture. We'll get a much better idea of him as soon as spring training. I'd still like to see him with the Marlins through spring training, and the way to ensure that happens is by putting him on the 40-man. I talked about Anthony Maldonado as a player that you feel like can contribute right away to this Marlins team or any other team. Yet another player in a similar boat to Troy Johnson, where the production has been pretty terrific throughout his career. It would send a great message to guys by rewarding him for that. Uh, I, I see no reason to take a chance and leave him exposed where when um, you, you can never have enough pitching in this organization, what he's shown at the highest level of minor league baseball suggests that he, it, at the very least against right-handed batters, I think he's going to have a lot of success moving forward. So will Banfield is the one where I can see arguments for, for both sides with him. He did have a, the best offensive year of his minor league career in 2023 it did come while repeating a level you look under the hood and the plate discipline stats that he has are concerning i I still have some skepticism about his approach and whether he'd actually be able to uh, hit big league pitching i don't think he fully answered those questions uh you you squint and you see a little bit of a poor man's mike zanino where very low batting average but good pull side power power and above average defense at that position that brings a lot of tangible and intangible value. Um, I, I still think there are enough questions about him that you should be able to leave him outside the 40 man pursue other options. They do need to address the catcher position, no doubt for the Marlins entering 2024. And I think Banfield should get a good chance to earn a spot, even on the active roster coming out of spring training. Um, for the moment, I, I feel like you can get away with leaving him on the outside looking in. To sum up, four guys that I'd add on this 40-man roster on Tuesday, Victor Mesa Jr., Troy Johnston, Nassim Nunez, Anthony Maldonado. We'll find out what direction they go in. That announcement should be coming 
on Tuesday, right after on the heels of Peter Bendix's introductory press conference. That was the uh, the big event. That, uh, I you could say maybe that finally kicked off the Marlins offseason unofficially, having him and Bruce Sherman address the media at Lone Depot Park. Isaac Azut and Noah Berger were there covering it for Fish on First. On the other side of this break, we'll talk with them about what it is that they saw at the ballpark, getting a better idea for the guy who's going to be in charge of baseball operations for the foreseeable future. Stick with us. The show goes on. Eli Sussman's still here with you on the official show, and I got Isaac Azut and Noah Berger. They're in they're good mood, both of these guys. They, uh, they love being at the ballpark, and they're at it today on Monday for the Peter Bendix introductory press conference. So, that's, uh, yeah, we'll be unpacking that a little bit on here. Not a ton to unpack, if we'll be honest with you guys up front. It went pretty quickly. If you want to find the full recording to it, we have it up on our YouTube channel to watch all 13-ish minutes of its glory. But there was also breakout sessions afterwards, and we could read between the lines. Uh, so for both of you guys, what was it like being at the ballpark for the first time in like a month and a half? Was everything the same way you remembered it? Uh, it's it's an interesting walk going through the whole tunnel. We going through the command center today and making that long walk going up the elevator when there's nothing going on in the ballpark except for a press conference, no baseball, no concessions open. It's a little bit strange, no doubt about it, but it was nice to be back. The field looks beautiful. Um, and obviously, welcome to Miami, Peter Bendix signs all over the place, including the scoreboard and in the Biscayne Brew Hall where the actual press conference took place. But it was nice to be back, no doubt about it. Yeah, it was great to see everybody again. It's It's been a while since we saw all the other reporters and all the, the Marlins employees that we haven't seen in a while. Um, the Of course, no one ever likes having to drive to the ballpark, when, especially when those drawbridges get in your way every single time. So, But it was nice once you get there and just going in at the – Walking into a major league ballpark is an experience that like it never gets old. Um, so it was nice being there and it just it felt good to be back in the building. Um, and yeah, it was nice to see everybody. Give us some more specifics on the everybody, Noah. Uh, what was the media turnout like for that? We're in the middle of football season and now we're pretty deep into the Miami Heat season as well. So, general sports and the Florida sports. Panthers and the Panthers. Oh, yeah. I would never forget um, about the Panthers as well, and I know they've been hot lately. So aside from the usuals on the beat, what what other outlets did you see out there for this? Um, so I know for sure I was holding the microphone for Channel 7 during Bruce's breakout session. I was holding the mic for Channel 10 during the during Peter Bendix's, so my arm is kind of hurting. Um, for sure on the Marlins employee side of thing, Caroline O'Connor was there. Um, Jeff Cohen and I was sitting right in front of me when, with David Oxfeld and everybody. Um, but there was a lot of the local TV news stations. Um, Channel 6 was there. CBS was there. Pretty much every big news station was there. The Sun Sentinel was there. The Sun Sentinel had somebody asking a lot of questions. I think they went ahead of you guys in the question-asking hierarchy. That surprised me watching from afar. Whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> it was not It was not supposed to be like that, and nobody was happy about it. So, um, mm. but... Yeah, it was again it was it was good to feel back in those press conferences mood. Everyone's in the scrums and we're all waiting and everybody to get their questions in and um rolling our eyes as some people ask questions that we know are meant as a joke and but aren't according to some and it's just interesting to to hear the kinds of questions that are asked by people that aren't really there every day 
as opposed to the questions that are asked by people that are there every day. Mm-hmm. A lot more of an in-depth knowledge for people that are there every day, and then like more of an overseeing, more asking about like his time at the Rays, people that aren't there every day, asking more for trying to get a specific quote, um, not really asking about what his plan is, um, not that he'd give us much, not that he can give us much, because you got to keep as much of your cards close to your chest as you can. He was very, very, he spoke very highly of um, the current assistant GMs, Brian Chatton, Ozzo Campo, and then the third name I always forget, Dan Greenleaf. Dan Greenleaf. Dan Greenleaf, sorry. Um, he, also, he, he said that he went out to California to go and see Skip, um, and met with Skip in person. He speaks very highly of Skip. Um, he did not get sick at the GM meetings. He was not one of the GMs that got sick at GM meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a lot of high praise from him for everybody in the Marlins organization. And you touched on it. One thing that I was a little unclear about moving forward is whether those assistant GMs who were certainly hired some of them hired under Jeter, and then Oz was hired under Kim Eng, whether they would actually be around moving forward. But Isaac, I think all indications are that'll be the case, that they were involved in the actual search process for their boss, which seems a little unconventional. But Bruce Sherman, it wasn't. I, I was kind of refreshing to hear that he didn't do this on his own, that he, was, he leaned on the actual baseball people he already has in this organization. Who else in the organization, if anyone, was involved in deciding that Peter was the right candidate for the job? Um, we had a thorough, we had uh, several people in the organization who interviewed Peter beside myself. Um, there was a, a very easy consensus. We interviewed many, many people. I won't go into all the details. I was proud that we kept it out of the, uh, out of the media. Uh, proud of that. And also our three wonderful uh, AGMs here, uh, got the be- as did Caroline, got the benefit to... Uh, to meet Peter, uh, and I remiss in not saying thank you to Dan, saying thank you to Brian, better known as Chat and Oz, okay, sitting in that order uh, for all their work the last month. Uh, a lot of decisions had to be made the last month, and uh, I certainly didn't want to be the one making them. I leaned on these three gentlemen to, to make those wonderful decisions. Aside from the dismissals that have already been reported in, in recent weeks, uh, that there will be this interesting dynamic where retaining a lot of the people that were already in place with this team. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's how it started. We had to ask Bruce, you know, Hey, who helped you conduct these interviews who helped you with the decision-making process. And I thought something that was important to touch on was, Hey, it was very easy consensus. I think, no, you know, obviously he's going to say that, but it was Caroline. I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Marlin had a helping hand in it. And yeah, the fact that he mentioned the three assistant GMs also helped out with the decision-making and the hiring process sort of tells me that Bruce and Peter probably will keep them. Maybe one of them gets um, promoted to the general manager's position, but I think that we're not going to know about that for a little while. So yeah, I think if we read between the lines here, it looks like um, those three guys will remain with the organization is, is my understanding of it. Right. In his, for people that I think most people are familiar, he already gave an interview to the Marlins Hot Stove show last week. So this was about trying to get anything extra that wasn't already given in that initial interview. It was in that initial interview that he really poured water on the idea of hiring a GM immediately. And uh, I, I doubled down on it today and I asked him again. Yeah. Um, he was still very non committal 
Um, he's like, it's still first week on the job. And I'm wondering how long we're going to hear him say first week on the job. Um, <laughs> he's going to say first month of the job, first, first, first couple months on the job. Um, at one point, is it his job? Um, not sure. Um, the winter meetings are coming up. Mm -hmm. um, the general manager's meetings got cut short. Um, but a lot's got to happen this week. There's the deadlines coming up. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I would be extremely shocked if they make it to the winter meetings without having hired a GM. Something he touched on a little bit that he's going to really depend on Brian Chatton for them. I think he pointed him out um, directly that he's been here for a very long time. And if of all the assistant GMs, he's going to have to really rely on his knowledge of the organization, of the players, of the system to in the few first few couple of weeks, I would assume, because yeah, he's, he's got to get to know this club. Obviously they have a lot of the Rays and the Marlins have a lot of history together playing in the same state, a lot of trade history as well. And so he probably knows the organization a little bit. There's a few Marlins that used to be raised on the current active roster. So, you know, he's probably got a general idea, but uh, yeah, he's going to be relying heavily on especially Ryan Chatton for, uh, for more knowledge on this team because they're going to have to make a decision by tomorrow on who to protect. He, used, he was proud that he knew the 40-man roster was at 35. He said, I know that. I can't mm -hmm. tell you everyone, but I know that it's at 35. And yeah, he's aware that the deadline is tomorrow to protect some guys. And he obviously plans to. He won't tell us who though yet. He yeah. said he was he was he's very well versed on who the arbitration guys are and their their yes. numbers and everything. Which it, and I was getting kind of mixed messages because a, a lot of the time Bruce was um, hammering home the point that wow this guy who's, who's coming in he knows so much about the organization even before coming into the organization. While at the same time Peter Bendix is at the mic saying this is just my first week on the job. I don't really know much. I'm still trying to learn the organization. So what's true what's not we don't really know um and um also he we he was asked about the possible extension for arias and again again his response was this the first week of the job um so it, and it was that there was one more thing i wanted to touch on um and i forgot what it was to circle back to me <laughs> Just from being in his presence, are there any observations about whether his, his personality, his mannerisms that stick out to you? Uh, I could tell that he speaks louder than Kim does. I imagine he's a little taller <laughs> than God. Kim was. <laughs> uh, just stuff like that. Um, any impressions about yeah. uh, him considering most of us have never been in his presence before? Yeah, he very he, outspoken thought... dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oops, sorry, I didn't know you were going first on that. My bad. No, go ahead. No. Um, he's a very outspoken dude. He speak, does speak much louder. You can actually hear what he's saying in a press conference, which is a, a breath of fresh air for us who cover the Marlins. Um, and he gave us some stuff off the record. He was a little bit more relaxed when he was talking about that. Um, but he definitely, he, he he's very confident in the way he talks about things and is very, while being non-committal, he's also very committal to, um, like, laying down the the foundation for what he wants to do he's not going to say what he wants to do but it sounds like he's a he's very confident in what he wants to do yeah very, seems like a very humble guy as well very very kind like noah said outspoken um he's like oh, it's so nice to hear someone speak very clearly and you don't have to put the phone right next to his mouth to listen a little bit so that's something that i'm going to look forward to 
But yeah, something that he mentioned in the post-conference media scrum was that, you know, he he could not say nicer things about his time with Tampa Bay. And if he was going to leave that organization, it had to be the absolute perfect fit. And I get some of it is, you know, it's PR trained. He's, he has to say stuff like that. But he seemed very genuine and just thought, hey, this is one of the best opportunities he's going to get, president of baseball operations. And like you said, it had to be the perfect fit. It had to be the perfect scenario for him to leave the organization like Tampa Bay, an organization like Tampa Bay, and he did it. And now uh, I'm remembering what it was that I wanted to touch on. Um, Bruce mentioned a lot about either Rays are a very analytically driven organization, um, but what Bruce was most impressed by was uh, Peter's ability to get uh, to connect with the personnel and the and the players and everybody there more on and not just the the stats driven stuff but more of the culture side he was really hammering home the culture the culture the culture um so i didn't know there was much of a of a culture driven side to the rays besides for analytics um but that was interesting to hear that that was one of the main points absolutely now i i don't think kim's name came up at all during the main presser but she was referenced a little bit in the the scrum sessions afterwards with bruce isaac it, it, did did bruce did he say anything about her departure i imagine um now for people that are unaware like the marlins didn't have any availability with bruce until now since the end yeah. of the season uh which i uh i think that was I can understand why they did it. Um, I think in other markets, they might not have been able to get away with that yeah. this far away. And the more that we learn about Bendix, you know, I, I, the, the emotions around that controversial breakup have kind of died down a little bit. But if there's anything that he mentioned about Kim leaving um, under this very unusual circumstances. No, Bruce said exactly what you'd expect from Kim. I, only one person asked about her, ironically. Um, and she basically said, yeah, no, we, we did our part. We extended her the mutual option and she was not, it was not mutual on her part. She did not want to return, but we wish her nothing but the best. And, but Bruce said she, he would have really liked her to come back. And I, I guess my follow-up question would have been, you know, with, you know, under Peter Bendix or, or is her as maybe the Pobo? So obviously not the latter. So I, I would have liked to him to elaborate more on that. But no, he said all the right things that he wishes her nothing but the best. And he was disappointed that she chose not to return. And as of this moment, it's basically unofficially official that she probably won't be in a front office during the 2024 season. The Mets still have a vacancy in their GM position. But they have already said, David Stern's over there, that he's not going to hire a GM this offseason. The Red Sox, of course, they filled their vacancy right before the Marlins did. Actually, I think they're still looking for a GM, but Kim reportedly declined to even interview with them for that vacancy under their new Pobo, Craig Breslow. So, oh, Chief another baseball officer. Chief, oh, that's right. The Red Sox now use a different terminology different that is roughly term. equivalent to a Pobo. It, it does seem that at least for this upcoming year, or at least for the start of this upcoming year, that um, she won't be involved in a, at least a team's front office, whether or not she goes back to the league front office, that's a possibility. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we shall see one way or another with that. As, as you mentioned, and right before this, there's a separate segment of me giving my takes about the rule five protections. That is 
transactions coming up on on Tuesday, where where the Marlins will have to add some guys to their forty man roster to protect them from being selected. Some recent history. Last year, they just added a few relievers before that deadline. And I remember the year before in 2021, um, the Griff, Griffin Conine uh, drama. Everybody assumed Griffin Conine was going to be protected, and the Marlins didn't do that. And that, that was a very unusual year where they didn't add anybody to their 40 man roster heading into the Rule 5. Usually there is somebody. And wasn't there? I think wasn't, wait, in 21, there was no Rule 5 draft. That's right. As it turned out, the Rule 5. It happened during the lockout, and there was it no didn't major happen. league component. There was right, no major right. league component. Now, now that I'm remembering it, because the deadline was a couple of weeks before the lockout, teams they kind of treated it as if there would still be a rule five. But a couple of weeks yeah. later, the lockout began. Then the lockout obviously lasted for three-ish months, and they never actually did the rule five to begin with. Yes. So thank you for patching together that entire chronology. Very unique circumstances. Anyway, Griffin Conine is Rule Five eligible again for people that are concerned. I should have asked Jeff Conine. He was sitting right in front of me. Yeah, it was no. good to see. I was kidding. Good to see Jeff Conine there. Um, and yeah, we, you guys touch on everything else. I, I think that is going to do this for this quick rundown of the Peter Bendix intro right here. Yeah, we still have three-ish weeks until the winter meetings. But as we said, we have that deadline for the Rule 5 protections on Tuesday. And then on Friday, Friday is the deadline to tender contracts to the arbitration-eligible guys. And that generally leads to a flurry of trade activities. Whether or not the Marlins are involved with that, we'll wait to see. As people have pointed out, when coming from the Rays, the Rays are a team that does very unconventional things when it comes to that deadline. They've made some, uh, you could say, unpopular moves around that that deadline in the past trading players when they reach a certain salary level, even when they seem to be producing at a level that is more than worth that salary. And he's been involved with those deals. It doesn't mean anything in particular for the Marlins guys from Luis Arise to Lazardo to Tanner Scott. Those are just a few examples of guys. Jazz Chisholm Jr. For the first time eligible for arbitration. Uh, so that's coming up on, on Friday. And I think I would just advise people to expect the unexpected when it comes to that. And also yep. coming up this week, there's the 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 announcement of manager of the year winner. Mm-hmm. We're hoping it's Skip. We're assuming it's Skip, um, but that'll be interesting to talk about. And there's probably going to be a press conference following that, so we'll be interested to find to hear from Skip uh, for the first time in a while. Um, be nice to hear his voice again. And yeah. Uh, I just double want to check. Talk. That's coming on. It's just on Tuesday. Tuesday, right at the same time, actually, as the Rule Five protection guys is the announcement on MLB Network. Skip, Craig Council, Brian Snicker. Uh, I like Skip's chances of winning that. Yeah, me Tori too. Lavello got, player- Tori Lavello got snubbed. And players will be made available this week. I'm getting word that the annual turkey distribution will be held this week. On the West Plaza and my and Lone Depot Park and Braxton Garrett, um, Luis Arise and Nick Fortes are expected to be in attendance. So if you guys want to go get a turkey, all Marlins fans go to the West Plaza at Lone Depot Park. Um, they and, will be... and beloved former Marlin uh, Pablo Lopez is hosting a puppies and pickleball event at uh, Miami Shores uh, uh, Tennis Club. Uh, to for, as an adoption uh, event there. So if you want to go see Pablo Lopez and give him a hug for all of us um, and see some puppies there, that, that's happening on uh, Thursday at 4 o'clock. 
and hopefully I'll be back in town by then, but it's not likely. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to do it for the official show right here. Eli Sussman, Noah Berger, Isaac Azut coming at you. As, as I said earlier in this show, I am doing this now every single week for this foreseeable future, dropping on Tuesdays all year round until something gets in the way of it. But the plan is for the foreseeable future, doing new pods with my staffers, with my special guests, with myself sometimes, um, breaking down all things Marlins, another very fascinating offseason ahead of us. So thanks, everybody, for the support. Become a super subscriber, fishonfirst.com, and go fish. The reincarnation of the official show comes with a new recurring segment, the walk-off sign-off. At the end of every official show episode, I'll replay the audio from a walk-off game-winning moment in Marlins history. Because why not? People love walk-off moments. For this one, we go back to 2019, starring one of my favorite Marlins players of all time, Harold Ramirez. Enjoy this walk-off sign-off. I'll talk to you guys next week. Ramirez, a fly 